Oh, oh, I gotta check my email. I haven't done that in a while. Okay. Let's see. Email. And junk mail. Junk mail. Hey! Message from Paul. Okay, wonder how he's doing. Let's click into that. Here we go. This is a letter from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus. I'm writing to Philemon. May God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Amen. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all God's people. And I'm praying that you'll put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother. Good. For your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. That is why I am boldly asking a favor of you. Okay? I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do, but because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you. Consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. Onesimus? I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he's very useful to both of us. Give me one second. Good morning, Christ Church. Good to be with you. I am now officially Pastor Andrew. It's good to be with you this morning at Christ Church. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are uh, diving into a sermon series specifically around the book of Philemon. I've been trying hard to get into Philemon's head this past week, as you might have noticed. Uh, Philemon is this very short book in the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible. And we're going to spend this week and next week specifically diving into and looking at this book. It is, in fact, a small book. Uh, it fits on your half sheet. So if you want to pull out your half sheet, we're going to be using this a lot this morning because of the way that we're going to be preaching through this specific book. You can actually fit the entire book on this side and this side and there's a space for notes. And so this week and next week, we are going to be walking through and actually talking through specifically line by line what Philemon has to say. This is called an exegetical study. Uh, if you're new to the Christian faith, this might seem a little daunting for you. This might seem a little intimidating. That's okay. Don't you worry. Hang in there. Uh, it's just trying to get us familiar with and engaged with the scriptures, engaged with what we believe as a Christian people to be God's word. And so if you are a Christian, if you are familiar with this type of study, this is the type of study where we will be going systematically, line by line, word by word, kind of reading this through and just simply 
talking about it, talking about it very naturally and casually as we walk through the entire book of Philemon. We're only going to get through one half of it today, uh, but you'll want to bring out your Bible if you got a Bible, use the half sheet if you got the half sheet, bring out your app if you got an app, and follow along because we are going to hold very tightly and very closely to the script. This translation is the NLT. There's a bunch of different translations of the Bible out there. Whatever one you're reading, that's the right one because the point is you're reading it. So, without further ado, grab your half sheet and we are going to dive into the book of Philemon, walking through it piece by piece, bit by bit. Here we go. You ready? Let's do it. The book begins with an opening from Paul. Uh, it's a small book. Uh, Paul wrote in letters is what this is. This is, this is actually a letter that we, he would have written to his friend Philemon. And he writes it opening like this. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner. I want you to underline Paul, a prisoner, if you've got a pen with you. We're going to come back to that a little bit more. This is a letter from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker and our sister Aphia, and to our fellow soldier Acrippus, and to the church that meets in your house. Pause right there. So as we begin this letter, as we, we dive into this text, uh, this is a letter from Paul, and Paul was an incredibly important guy in the New Testament and continues to be one of our most influential voices as a Christian people. Uh, Paul was a pastor, he was a missionary, uh, he was a preacher who actually traveled all over what was then the Roman world, kind of the Mediterranean area. He was in Jerusalem, he went up to Greece and Turkey, he was all over the place, all the way out to Rome. And as he traveled, he would plant churches. He would plant Christian churches. And, and he'd go in, meet people, he would preach, and he would teach. He would gather converts together, and he would solidify a church body. And after about nine months to a year, then he would move on to the next place where he could plant a new church. He was a church planter. And so he would do this regularly. He would dedicate his life to church planting. And then once he had left a church, he would write letters back to the church that he had planted and to the people and the relationships that he had formed there. For example, Philemon. Now, what's important to know about Paul, though, is that he wasn't always a church planter. Uh, those of you who know, Paul was, in fact, grew up as a Jew. He was a Jew among Jews, according to his own words. He was raised in the Jewish faith, and in fact, he was incredibly bright. He was brilliant. He was very sharp, and he was so good at his Jewish studies that he became a proficient teacher in the Jewish faith. Uh, he became kind of the guru guy, go-to, uh, the religious elite of that day. He was part of that group that oversaw Jewish affairs regarding the faith. In fact, when the whole Christian thing started going, and when you had Jesus on the scene and his disciples, Paul didn't even have the name Paul yet. He was called Saul. And as Saul, when he, as a young man, he went out and persecuted the Christians that he could find. He was so zealous in his faith as a Jew, he felt Christians were nothing but a bunch of crazy cultists starting this offshoot. They were saying this Messiah had come. They were taking the Jewish faith, faith and messing with it. And so 
Saul was anti-Christian in his beginning. He was actually empowered to bring around letters of writ empowerment that he would go into a city, he would flash his special letter and say, hey, I'm here to arrest and interrogate the Christians. And so he would go town to town and he'd go into Christians' homes and he would force those Christians to either disavow their Christian faith or be dragged out of their home and thrown in prison. Sounds like a nice guy, right? This is what he made his living doing. He was a special agent of the Jewish authorities who persecuted Christians. And in fact, as he was on his way to one of the places where he was going to persecute some Christians, Damascus, on the way, he had this supernatural encounter. Something happened. He met Jesus. Now, for those of you who are Christians... Uh, Is it fair to say that when you have an encounter with the living God in the person of Jesus Christ, life changes? True enough? True enough. Life changes when you come face to face with both your own depravity and your own weakness and faults and failures and that of the living good God. And that's what happened with Saul. It's amazing, though. God showed up in front of Saul and said, Saul... I love you with all of your faults, with all of your uh, faults and failures, even though you've been persecuting my people and getting in the way of what I'm doing, I'm now going to make you do a 180. You now are captive to my calling on your life. You are going to be my go-to guy. We're going to change the world together, Paul. And he started calling him Paul. You are no longer called Saul. You have a new life according to Christ. From now on, you're known as Paul, and you're going to be my go-to guy. And you're going to start planting all these churches. The places you used to go to persecute people, you're going to go back to those places and start talking about me and what I've done in this world. And Paul says, wow, okay. And that's what happens. He has this conversion experience. He, 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 in his letters, would say he doesn't even feel he really has a choice. He is, he is held captive. He is prisoner to the calling that God has laid on his life. And so that's what takes place. He has this conversion experience and he starts planting churches and ends up writing much of the New Testament. Much of what the Bible consists of in the latter part after the story of Jesus has begun is all written by the same guy, Paul. He wrote a ton of stuff. He was incredibly sharp, and he wrote all of these letters helping to explain and build up the faith in the churches that he planted. This is one of those letters written by Paul to Philemon. Again, this letter is from Paul, a prisoner. Tremendous irony. Paul, who used to throw Christians in prison, now himself is a prisoner. It's beautiful writing. Paul is prisoner not only in a physical, tangible way, which is accurate and true. You see, the religious elite that he used to work for, they're still throwing Christians in prison. The difference is, Paul is now one of those Christians being thrown in prison. (laughs) And so Paul was actually quite familiar with prison in a very physical and tangible way. He was regularly thrown behind bars. But his word choice there is unique and actually conveys far more than just a physical prison. 
Paul is even alluding to within his language, he can't help. He is held captive. He is prisoner to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of what Christ has done in this world. He is prisoner in a supernatural kind of way to what God is doing in this world. That's beautiful. Hold on to that. We're going to come back to that. This is Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ from our brother Timothy as well. I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker. And then he, gets, he starts talking about some other persons. And finally he ends up with uh, also to the church uh, in your house. Now what's important to know about Paul's letter, that Paul, as he wrote these letters to these uh, uh, persons within the church, expected that these letters be read publicly. So, I mean, you know how, like, mail is, like, kind of a private thing in our culture? Not the case in his culture. Mail in his culture was something specifically, because you could read, you were kind of lifted up as a special and unique situation. So he would write to people who could read, and he would expect them to stand up and read publicly what he was writing to them. So this letter is not meant just for Philemon. It is meant for the church that gathered in Philemon's house, or Philemon was a part of. Uh, He would have started a church in Colossae. Um, You might have heard of the book of Colossians. Uh, It's in the New Testament. The likelihood is that Philemon was part of that church uh, in in Colossae. He was part of the Colossian church. And so Paul is writing not only to Philemon, but through Philemon, he's writing to the church. And if he's writing to the church back then, and what that means for the church then... It also means that he is writing for the church now. This is incredible if you really think about it. Uh, God is using Paul and Paul is using Philemon to speak into the lives of God's people over the centuries even. We are still reading this letter publicly right here, right now. Shows the intricacy and the wisdom behind using this letter and studying this letter. It continues to speak here and now. So this letter would have been read publicly. It's important when we get farther on. He finishes that opening by saying, May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. This was the apostolic, say that word ten times fast, this was the apostolic greeting. This is kind of the go-to greeting that Paul wrote in all of his letters. When he would write to these churches, he would begin with this line and this phrase. It's something that even at the 8 o'clock service, for those of you who've ever visited the 8 o'clock service, we continue to actually set up the service often by using Pauline language, Paul's language. The grace and peace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. It's Paul's language and specifically his greeting. What's important to note about this greeting... May God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Is that is, in a snapshot, the gospel. This is why he's in prison. This is the entirety of what Christ came and did in one line. May God our Father. 
God, not some distant God. God, not some far away, something that we don't quite understand. But God who is in relationship to us, as a father is in relationship to his children. It's not a God who's hiding behind a cloud, ready to fry you with a lightning bolt. This is God who is present and real and who seeks to be your father. And the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, Master, Teacher, Rabbi. He who now is Lord and Savior of all the world and all of God's people. That God the Father would use Jesus Christ and through the person of Jesus Christ, He would give you grace and peace. Grace, forgiveness, hope, renewal, peace, satisfaction between God and ourselves. A supernatural reconciliation between God and God's people that was otherwise not possible before God intervened in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul is beginning his letter saying, You have been claimed by the gospel, as I have. The grace and the mercy of God is for you, as it has been given to me as well. May the grace and the peace that comes from knowing that your God loves you, may that set the foundation for everything that is to follow, not only in this letter, but for your life, for the way you think, the way you act, the way you live. It all stems from the grace and peace found in God your Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins his letter by naming the beginning of Christian identity and Christian life as a whole. He grounds us as he speaks to Philemon, as he speaks to his church, As he speaks to us in this church, Paul begins by reminding us, God loves you. He's a father to you. And in the person of Jesus Christ, he has delivered you from sin, death, and the devil. And you are claimed. You are are captive. You are now a part of what God is doing, and nothing can nor will change that. You are part of God's family. You are a prisoner of the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a heck of an introduction, isn't it? Now, for those of you who have ever experienced that, who have heard that and understand the joy that comes with knowing God has forgiven you, that God loves you, that whatever you're going to face in life, you face it with a loving and gracious, merciful God beside you, the natural response to that is gratitude, thankfulness. And so Paul, who always begins his letter with the gospel line, naturally transitions to gratitude and thanksgiving. That's why the next lines say this, I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon. I give thanks for who you are and what God has done in your life. Because I keep hearing about your faith, underline that if you've got a pen, I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love, 
Underline that as well. Your love for all of God's people. Your faith and your love. And I am praying that you will put into action, underline that, put into action, the generosity that comes from your faith. Underline that, from your faith. As you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Let me read that through again. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all of God's people. And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things that we have in Christ Jesus. Your love has given me much comfort and joy, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. What Paul is doing here is tremendously clever, very wise, as he speaks not only to Philemon, but in fact, again, to the entire church. He is using Philemon as an archetype, an example for all of us to see, understand, and know. Because he's lifting up and he's saying, Philemon, you get it. Philemon, I'm grateful and I'm glad that you have put the two big pieces of what it means to be a part of the gospel together through your faith and that the faith that comes from knowing and experiencing God's grace and peace, you have translated your faith into love, into action. There is an intrinsic link that Paul is lifting up and highlighting for God's people. That faith and love, faith and action are intrinsically linked and related and cannot be separated. That your belief informs your behavior. What you believe, what you truly have convicted of in your heart will inform and shape the way that you act. You already know this. You can even think, I'm sure, in your own life of small examples of this. When you believe something and then you act accordingly. I'll give you a quick, simple example. Uh, my wife and I bought a new toaster. I could smell the toast burning. I believed the toast was about to catch on fire. It informed my action to intervene and get the toast. Make sense? Silly example, small example. In a much larger way, in a much bigger picture, our belief as Christian people, it informs and shapes the decisions and actions that we make the life that we actually live. Paul is saying, Philemon, well done. Philemon, way to go. You are living in a way that understands and conveys the connection and relationship between your faith and action. And this is where it gets kind of funny but interesting. As a result of publicly lifting up Philemon, because Philemon, you know the importance of translating your faith into action, that is why I am boldly asking a favor of you. Ooh, that's good. Y'all see what's going on there? Right? 
Philemon, man, you're amazing. You get it. You get this whole gospel thing. You understand that Christ has saved you and Christ is, is risen. And you understand that, man, God is a loving and good Father who, is, who through Christ has claimed you. And you, you, are, you understand now that shapes the way you act. That shapes the decisions you make. Philemon, I am so grateful that you understand the importance of connecting faith in your decisions, of your belief, and your behavior. So I'm going to ask a favor of you. You see how that's working? It's great rhetoric. He's setting Philemon up very well. Again, this would have been publicly written. Read. Publicly read. So if you're Philemon there, getting this publicly read, you all know you got to do whatever he says comes next. Because everybody else just heard how great and awesome you are from Paul. So now whatever Paul's about to ask... This is the part where, like, if Philemon's the one publicly reading this, he gets real quiet. Because he's like, yeah, it's just a couple other things for me. Don't worry about the rest. Because you know whatever comes next. Philemon will have to prove whether or not he truly does understand the connection between his faith and the decision-making of his life. Continue reading on. This is why I am boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you. Consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner. He brought that back. He brought that back. Now a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. Paul is, is saying here, I could, I could demand this of you. Some other translations I read say command. I could command you to respond to the request that I'm about to make. But that's how the world works. And that's not how God's people work. That's not how God works. I could demand of you and command you to follow through on whatever I'm about to ask because, heck, I built the church you're a part of. I made the church. I'm an apostle. I'm writing. I wrote most of the New Testament. I have a good chunk of the New Testament. I wrote it. I met Jesus face to face. I am Paul. But he doesn't do that. Instead, Paul humbles himself and says, Look, I'm nothing more than an old man and a prisoner to Christ Jesus. And so I prefer simply to ask you, because that's what God does. God doesn't force people to love. God doesn't force people to act. He invites them. He asks them. He persuades and woos people. When God comes into your life, he doesn't demand of you that you live according to a set of rules. He instead invites you to let His grace and peace that comes from knowing Him as Father and comes from knowing Jesus Christ, He asks of you, let that inform and shape how you live. God is asking his people, us, 
to live in a way that reflects His love and mercy, which we have already received. We are like Paul. We are prisoners to the good news of Jesus Christ. In a supernatural way, you have been claimed captive to the good news of Christ. And therefore, you are asked and invited to live your life in a way that that connects your faith with actions, your belief with behavior. Not because you have to, but because you want to. Because God's love and grace is so overwhelming and good, you can't help. You are captive, prisoner to God's love in you and through you. See, Paul is speaking to Philemon. And He's speaking to you that He is your loving Father. And Jesus Christ has entered into this world so that you might know grace and peace and be moved to live accordingly. This means that as you go out into the rest of your week, as you go into just regular rhythms of your week, as you speak to your children, as you speak and interact with your spouse, as you engage with your co-workers, as you live your life, you do so captive to the good news of Jesus Christ, a prisoner of His love and kindness and grace. And may that then inform and shape how you live. Let us, like Philemon and like Paul, be moved to connect our belief and behavior, moved to connect the gospel with our own lives and how we live them. That is my prayer for you. Let's close with a word of prayer. Gracious God, we give you thanks that through your servant Paul, you would write to Philemon and to us. And that through your word, we could better hear and understand and know both your gospel and the way that it translates into our own lives. We confess to you that sometimes we fall short of that gospel goodness. And yet we, with great thanksgiving and joy in our hearts, continue to return to it, continue to come back, that we might once again hear of your love for us and thereby be moved to live accordingly. I pray for those gathered here, for those listening online, for those engaged with the gospel, that truly our lives would reflect your grace and peace into this world. That according to your love, May we be held captive and prisoner to your plans and purposes in this world. 
Build us up now and edify us. Lead us as we live our lives according to your goodness. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.